Hello and welcome back to another edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, the Watford podcast which aims to speak to former players, coaches and managers about their time at the Hornets. I'm your host Bradley Hayden, a freelance sports journalist and a Watford fan for over 12 years. Apologies that we have been off the radar for a while. Uh, I know a podcast hasn't been recorded for uh, over a year now. That's partly been down to the COVID pandemic, of course, which has made things very, very difficult in terms of set up interviews and stuff. But it's also the podcast has also had to take a little bit of a backseat as well, because I've had to focus on quite a few work projects, which have taken up a lot of my time. But we are back and I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get these podcasts back out there on a regular basis on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast and others. And this week, I think you're going to enjoy this one because I've spoken to a Watford striker and fan favourite who scored 41 times during two seasons with the Hornets between 2009 and 2011 and he forged prolific partnerships with Heide Helgeson as well as Marvin Sordell. Of course, I think you've got it by now. I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend that is Super Danny Graham. I spoke to Danny recently about his retirement from the game early this year, his clothing company Fugati, which he now runs, making vests trendy again in Watford after his celebration against Portsmouth and Mill, you know, the the, the well-known and famous uh, table tennis championship one that he he unveiled against Portsmouth during the 2010-11 season under Malky Mackay. His partnership with Marvin Sordell, of course, some cracking goals they scored together during that season under Malky Mackay. And as well as that, I'll also be getting his thoughts on some of his favourite goals as a Hornet, among other topics, across this wide-ranging conversation. I've got a feeling you're all going to enjoy this one, so sit back and listen to my chat with Danny Graham. Danny, thanks so much for, for joining me. Joined with, with super Danny Graham, obviously, Watford legend, top scorer in both of his two seasons at, at Watford. Firstly, mate, how are things with you? I mean, how are you finding life after football? Uh, different. Um, obviously, you know, I kind of expected that, though. It's not, um, you don't have that day-to-day routine, but you, it's been drilled into you from a young age. And, you know, sometimes you do miss the the, um, the banter around the dressing room. But in terms of games and stuff, I, I feel as though I haven't missed them. Um, I haven't walked up on a Saturday yet and thought, oh, wow, I'm... I'm not going to a game. It's been kind of um, relaxed on that side. And I think, obviously, with there being no fans there, it's helped me along the way as well. So it's all going good. It's new. It's It it takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to it, but it's going on the right path. Yeah, I mean, how did that decision to retire all come about? Was that, was that something that was on your mind for, for some time? Yeah, it's probably been in the, in the back of my mind for a while. Um, you know, when you get to 35 and... Um, you know, you it, it becomes harder to train at the at the level you want to, and you know you can become frustrated with with your body and it breaking down a bit more maybe than it used to. So, you know, when the Sunderland manager pulled me in and said, um, you know, you wanted to go down the younger path, um, you know, it was only right that we come to an agreement about my contract, and it just felt as always the right time. I kind of knew it was time to hang up the boots and and not prolong it and and try and force the issue really. And for some Watford fans who don't know, you, you run your own clothing company now, Fugati. How's everything going with that? Yeah, that's going really well. Obviously, we're, we're new and, you know, we're learning as we go along as well. And it's it's been really good. The gym wear and the leisure wear has been, um, you know, surprisingly good. Um, and like, uh, 
like I've said, uh, we've got um, conversations now with football league teams about club shop club, uh, stuff and, you know, hopefully kits as well. So it's going along the right path, um, a lot of hard work, but, you know, I'm enjoying it and it keeps me connected with football as well, I suppose. Now, I've got you on the podcast to talk about Watford. I mean, you were one of my first Watford icons that I looked up to. And during your time at the club, you, you were a fan's favourite, really. So looking back on it now, I think it's, it's, it's hard to believe that it's over 10 years ago since, since you left now. So how do you kind of look back on your time at, at Watford? Oh, nothing but great memories. Um, you know, for me, it was a it was a massive challenge moving from the northeast down to London and um, living in um, Napsby Park just outside of St Albans, and it was a whole new learning curve for me. Twenty three year old, and you know, kind of made me grow up and and become a man and stand on my own two feet. And you know, just going into training every day was great. We had some great characters, and the staff were great. Um, you know, the club was obviously struggling the first year in terms of financial stuff. And, you know, I remember Graham Taylor coming in and, and having a big conversation with us about we mightn't be getting paid and stuff like that. But if anything, that just kind of brought us together. Um, you know, so I look back at them, their memories at Watford with with great pride and, and pleasure to have represented Watford. And, you know, I've been recently made an ambassador of the club, which is um, which was a great touch from them. So I'm looking forward to doing some of that work as well. And, and hopefully reconnect with, with Watford fans again after, like you say, 10 years has, has flew by. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Watford fans would, would love to have you back down at Vicarage Road someday. I know, I know you said to me before that, you know, you, you were hoping to come back down sort of last year to, to watch a game, but the COVID pandemic sort yeah. of put paid to that. But obviously looking at your time at the club, I mean, you went on after Watford to have a great spell with Swansea and you had a fairly prolific spell with Blackburn towards the end of your career, but... Would you say Watford was when you were at your peak, if, if, you, if you had to sort of pin it down to that? Uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot. Where was, where was the best time you played? I, I find it hard, um, you know, because I, I come to Watford with the mindset of making sure I, like, I wanted to, to prove myself in the championship and, and go beyond that. Um, and then obviously when I went to Swansea to score double figures in the Premier League and, and play week in, week out, um, you know, it's hard to say, is, is it 27 goals at Watford in the Championship or is it playing week in, week out and, and scoring goals in the Premier League? It's, I, th I, th I think it's different. Um, obviously, the league's a lot tougher in the Premier League. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have said I was in my peak at, at Watford. I think maybe I was probably coming into it. Uh, and then to go and, and back it up with 12 goals in the Premier League, I think was um, a massive achievement for myself. I think there was only Wayne Rooney, who was a... Um, and maybe Grant Holt, the only two Englishmen ahead of me in the in the goal scoring list. So I find it different. Um, but you know, looking back at the Watford two years, I, I look back with great memories, like I've said. And, and how did the move to sort of Watford all come about? So it was Brendan Rodgers, really, who had uh, put the deal in place. Um, and I was away on holiday and then get a phone call saying he's left to go to Redden. So you kind of think, no, it's up in the air or. Is it going to happen? But fair play to Malky and, and the staff, um, they followed it through, uh, went down, met them, and then, you know, was probably back down within days again to do a medical. And I'm delighted they followed it through uh, because, you know, different managers have different opinions of players. And that could have quite easily have been one of them situations where, you know, my face didn't fit with Malky, but he, he, he got the deal done. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. You mentioned Malky there. I mean, how beneficial was he for you at that sort of stage in your, your career? I thought he was great. Um, I thought he was a great manager. I think he had a, a, 
great staff behind him with, with Daishi as he did with two, uh, David Kerslake, you know, they just seemed to fit well and he, he was great. He he looked after me, uh, as, as he did all the other players, but obviously I'd, I'd come down from the northeast and he kind of knew that and he took a bit extra time out uh, here and there to, to make sure everything was going well and I, I had it settled and stuff like that. So he played a massive part in me settling into the club. Um, obviously, you know, I think he brought me on as a player. I think you could see that in the second season, there was a real strong bond between uh, me and Malky and the staff and, and the players and I think that brought the best out of me. And John Eustace was captain at the time as well. I mean, I've spoken to John, fantastic guy. I mean, you know, someone who was fantastic to have around that group, I'm sure. I mean, how influential was he in, in the dressing room at that sort of time? He was huge. He was he was probably one of our most, uh, if not most experienced player in the squad. Um, obviously, Haider come in the first season. So, obviously, that helped as well with um, in terms of us being a young squad. But Eustace was massive. Um, and if I remember correctly, at the start of pre-season, Eustace was pretty much out the door and he was... He was going to be moving on, and then he he done well in the preseason games, and and then started the season, and you know he rightly so he was captain at the, in, in most of the games, and he was great for the young lads uh, on and off the pitch. I mean, as well as that, I mean, in that first season as well, we had Tom Cleverley coming in alone, <clears throat> who's back at the back at the club right now. I mean, and was influential really in Watford getting back up last season. I mean, what what was he like to play with at, at, at that time that when he first came in on loan? Clevs was a breath of fresh air, to be honest, when he came in on loan, relatively unknown at the time. Obviously, we we all thought and, and kind of expected him to have some sort of talent being at Manchester United. And he'd come in and, and hit the ground running, really. I think he scored, did he, at his first game at Nottingham Forest away um, in a 4-2 win. Um, I kind of remember that game late on. He scored, and I think he just that kind of gave him the confidence as a young lad to to go on. And I'm, I'm sure he got over double figures that season um, in terms of goals. And you know, not only that, his assists and his energy around the park was uh, was vital to us. As was Henry Lansbury at, at times. Um, you know, I, I feel as though we kind of recruited well considering the, the money situation at the club. I mean, if you, I don't know how much you managed to watch watch Watford last season, but I mean, thoughts of him at the moment. I mean, he's he's been fantastic for Watford ever since he's come back. Someone you can always been a little bit unfortunate with injuries here and there, but someone you can always rely on to kind of perform week in week out and really sort of drive the team. Yeah, I think I think you can see that in his in his game now. He's obviously matured a lot. And- you know, he does drive the team forward and, you know, you'd expect that from a young boy who's been brought up at Manchester United and, and played so many games at, at, at a club like that. So, it's great to see him doing well um, and it's great to see Watford back in the Premier League, of course it is. Um, it's um, it's exciting times again, I suppose, at, at, at Watford, um, back in the Premier League and, you know, you've, you've got your, your core of English players as well. Uh, obviously, Troy still there and Craig Cathcart and... Obviously, Clevs and people like that. Chalabelle is um, there's a good uh, sort of balance with the squad um, in terms of having the right amount of English players in there. Because uh, I do feel as though I kind of got away from that with the amount of different nationalities that was at the club. But um, it kind of it's going round in a circle now, and you know it's great to see them doing well and back in the Premier League, and hopefully I can I can get down to some of the games this year and, and watch them. You mentioned a couple of questions ago about playing up front with Ida Helgerson in, in your first season with the club. I mean, he was a Watford legend at the time, coming back on loan. I mean, for you, was, or you, were, you were quite sort of in the early stages of your career then. He was sort of 
starting in his sort of early to mid thirties at, at the time there. So how beneficial was it for you to, to play up front with him and sort of learn, learn bits and pieces from him as well? Yeah, it was massive. Um, I've said this before in previous interviews. Um, I kind of, you know, before kind of fell short during the middle part of the first season and I found myself out of the team and, and obviously Haider was doing well and, and scoring goals. And I kind of looked at trying to watch Haider play the way he, he found space in between the, the centre-halves and, and full-backs. And, you know, he had one of the best leaps I've ever seen uh, in terms of jumping to head balls. And, you know, his hold-up play was obviously way superior than mine. And it was, it was kind of frustrating to be out of the team, but at the same time, I think it benefited me because it allowed me to kind of watch Haider the way he would pull in between centre-halves, the way he would hold people up, the way he would nudge his centre-half at the right time. And I, I think that massively benefited me, not only in the second season, but as I kind of got older and and probably a, a, a little bit less more mobile, I kind of already had ingrained what I'd seen from Haider in, in terms of how to nudge a defender out the way. And just little things um, which massively helped, but at the time, it obviously was frustrating I wasn't playing. Yeah, I mean, the second season, I mean, start off that one of the, my favourite ever games from, from yourself and the team that ran that sort of time was Norwich away first game of the yeah. season everything was on Norwich are going to absolutely you know this is Norwich's day they're going to battle Watford and here come along a team that was favourite for relegation and we came along absolutely blitzed them in, in that first half especially you, you and Marvin up front yeah. and that was sort of the first time we really kind of seen that that uh, relationship between you and him, which really kind of blossomed, especially in the early stages of that, yeah. of that season. I mean, you know, firstly, on that game as well, those two goals, fantastic, fantastic finishes. What, was the second one across or, or you, you, did you did you go for that? No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very lazy swing to try and get it in that far corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but, but, you know, I remember that game fondly, um, not only because of the goals and the result. Um, like you said there, we were we were already beat before we turned up. Um, we were tipped for relegation, uh, favourites to become relegated. Norwich were riding this wave of, uh, you know, winning League One and coming back to the Championship, a full house. And, you know, it was just a case of them getting off to a good start. And I think Malky was, was great the way he handled all that and the way he, he kind of, got their messages across to us without being too angry and disrespectful about the way people were talking about us. He, he, he kind of said it in the right way and it fueled us. And I think you can see the way we started the game. Um, I remember, you know, obviously used to score, I scored. Uh, Will Buckley had a great chance to keep us safe. We, we could have been well and truly outside first half because we literally, we did play them off the park in, in every sense of the word. I mean, that first goal for yourself that day, the, the interchange between you and Marv and in the finish as well, mm. fantastic. I mean, was that relationship with Marvin something that just came instantly or was it something that you, you kind of worked on in training? No, I kind of come instantly. Um, obviously, Marv, you know, he, he's great left foot, right foot. Uh, he, was, he was very good technically, a, a very, very strong runner uh, and it, it kind of worked, you know, I could... I, in that second season, I felt it was only hold up of, of the ball improved and, you know, that would allow Mark to maybe stretch the defence and make the drop a little bit shorter or, or vice versa because at the time I wasn't too slow. I'm probably giving myself too uh, too much of a discredit, but, you know, I certainly felt it was only hold up play was a lot better in that second season and, like I say, Mark could run in behind him. We didn't work on it too much. 
we didn't work on it too much. I just feel as though we, we kind of understood each other's game. We, we were intelligent enough to understand, you know, what sort of runs Marv would want and what sort of balls I would like. And it, it, it did, really did blossom the first, you know, probably three quarters of the season. How important was someone like Stephen McGinn in that side towards, I mean, in, in that season as well? And obviously you had Martin Taylor, Adrian Mariapa as well. You know, you had kind of really sort of experienced players in there mixed in with, with the younger lads too. Yeah, I think he was he was vitally important. I think I think we all were that season. I, I, I could go through the whole squad and and everyone played a massive part because, um, like I said, we were written off from from day one. We were massively favourites to go down, and and everyone played the part. You know, you could go through the team maps, Lochi, Tails, Andrew Taylor coming on loan for half a season and done ever so well and helped us out. Will Buckley, Don Cowie. You know, you you can name everyone. I think um, everyone really pulled in the right direction. We all obviously wanted to do well for the football club, and we let that outside noise, and we we didn't let that affect us. We kind of used it to to fuel us and and make sure we were we, we were never ever in danger of, of getting relegated. And if I remember correctly, back end of Jan, we were three points off the playoffs. Maybe yeah. I just feel as though if we had a one or two more experienced players, we could. Cut, turned to on the bench, I think we could have had a right good go in the playoffs. But at the time, obviously, the club was financially, you know, insecure and, and the club comes first, obviously. Mm, and then before that Norwich game, literally just as you're about to get on the coach, a young lad called Troy Deeney rocks up. And uh, I mean, you know, you largely played out wide during that, that yeah. first season when you, when you were there. But because you kind of see what he was capable of, of doing at the times? At the time, it was kind of, it was kind of hard... Um, Obviously, Troy come in the, the day of the game uh, and obviously me and Marvin started the season really well. So it was hard for Troy. And, you know, at the time, I think he probably understood. He'd just signed and obviously we were playing well. So you'd have to work hard and and uh, get his chance. But I always felt when Troy played, uh, he come on, he made a difference. Um, and then obviously towards the end of the season, he started to score uh, a few more goals, which obviously, obviously helped him. Um, did I see him being at Watford still now? Uh, being Watford captain with over 100 goals, absolutely not. No, I think he's. Um, I think he's a massive credit to the club, uh, massive credit to himself. The way he's had his off-field issues and the way he's handled them, the way he's come back and bounced back, and you know he's he's rightly he rightly goes down as a Watford legend in my eyes. And you know, what are your thoughts on on his sort of progress ever 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 since? Really, I mean, turned into a real sort of figurehead for Watford, and I would expect him to still still be in and around the squad this season too. Yeah, I feel, I feel as though Troy gets better every season. Um, I I just feel as though he gets better every season. He's, he seems to have this massive belief in his own ability, which is great. It's not an arrogance. It's it's a confidence thing. It, it's never ever. It might come across as arrogant to people, but it's not. Um, and I, yeah, he kind of similar to Glenn Murray. I think Glenn Murray, the, that years after thirty, Glenn Murray was probably playing the best football of his life at the highest level of, of his life. And I kind of feel that with Troy, he just seems to continuously get better and prove people wrong. And and that's a massive credit to himself, really. I mean, when I look at talk, when I sort of look through Watford fans on Twitter, I mean, we talk about Troy twenty fourteen fifteen, but you know, I think lots of people talk about his partnership with Matic Vidra that season in the Galo since, but I think a lot of Watford fans would hunker to see 2014-15 Troy Deeney play up front with 2010-11 Danny Graham mm -hmm. at least one more time. 
Oh yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Um, listen, Watford have Watford have done well with forwards, to be honest. Um, obviously, Vidra was electric when he came in as well, and obviously Troy and you know I always feel the young lad now is a Pedro. I think he's going to be a real, real, real talent. He looks to be the part, and you, you could see glimpses of that last year. I thought he was he was brilliant. He's got a derby, um, you know, stands out, and I always feel as all have done well in, in in that sort of sense. So. Yeah, that would have been nice. Um, obviously, we know what football's like. Your your football career goes in different and different paths. And you know, if I tried to have been there 10, 11 years, is is incredible. And uh, he's he's a massive uh, asset for the club. Another one of my favourite games as well during that second season when you were there is QPR away because that mm. was another one on the telly. QPR were unbeaten at home. I think they might have been beaten in the league at sort of that yeah. sort of stage as well. Yeah. And all the bit, literally, the whole build up to that game on the BBC was QPR, QPR are going to smash Watford. And there was maybe about three minutes dedicated to Watford, a nice little montage. But mm. the rest of that was, oh, it's going to be Adult Serap, it's going to be Tommy Smith, you know, whoever else QPR had that day. Yeah. And then literally, we come along, 2 0 up. And then, you know, 3 new up early in the second half, absolutely blitzed them. Could, could have easily been more that day as well. I mean, you scored a double. My, my mate is a QPR fan, is adamant that the second was offside. And I keep saying, it's absolutely no way on earth is that second, <laughs> is that second one offside. It's, it was completely on. I mean, another great day as well. Yeah, I remember that game. And, I, I, yeah, you're writing everything you said. I remember um, QPR won beating at home and they were flying and, there were this and that and little old Wofford's coming into town again and you know it was just an, another one of them think uh, situations where we just yeah no problem you you continue to talk about QPR and and rightly so listen they were flying at the time and that that's good but not to the sort of levels where you they think you're just going to turn us over because um like I said mate we we all pulled together that season and we all stuck right by each other and stuff like that kind of helped us um maybe if it hadn't have been spoke about in that way, the result might have been different. I think we kind of use it, and which is great for a group of young lads to, to be able to fuel that um, and, and use it to win a football match. And like you say, I, we went 1-0 up and was a Jordan Butch uh, yeah. sort of yeah. boss and Tails has ducked out the way. Uh, and yeah, once we got the third, you knew it was pretty much game over. Um, and we'd done a right good job on them. I don't think they could handle us. And I think they were kind of shocked at the the levels we could play at, to be honest. Mm, and, you know, those two goals were, were prime Danny Grant that day because you mm. give you half a yard of space, we're in the box or running in behind and you're going to stick that in. And you had loads of other of those as well. You had the Portsmouth goal, you scored against yep. Starby as well. And that goal against Portsmouth as well, not, not only was you someone who, who was a great goal scorer for Watford, but you're also the person who made tr- vests trendy in Watford again with the, the Portsmouth and Millwall celebrations. Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, and that was down to the kit man, Will Jones. We, um, obviously, we had a big table tennis competition between everyone, staff, young lads. You know, just something daft to bring the club together. And it, it was great at the time. And uh, we obviously done that. And it was Will Jones, a kit man, who was kind of said, listen, I've got a vest for you tonight. But at the time, it was it was funny because, you know, my, I never once sort of questioned it and thinking, oh, like, am I not going to score? Or what? It was like, yeah, I'm, I'll have that best. I'm, I kind of had that belief where I was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to score tonight, we're going to win, and, you know, the best is going to come out. And then, obviously, Stephen McGinn done his cruciate at Doncaster, and there's the next game, and uh, 
it just rode with it again. Just I had that feeling we were going to score. I was going to score and we were going to win. And you know, to and then to have the last game at the Vic and you know thousands of people invest and everything that is incredible. It was it was great. To, it was great to see and you know a, a very nice way to leave the football club as well. I think. Mm, you mentioned that there. Did you know that last game? Did you know that was going to be your last at Vicarage Road? Yes and no. Um, the only reason I say no is because if, if the Premier League move didn't come along, I wouldn't have been interested in going anywhere else, to be honest. Um, so I was all riding on the fact that I was going to go to the Premier League. I was never ever going to leave to to go to someone else in the Championship. That was that was never my dream. That was never what I set out to do. It was always to... You know, when I dropped down from Middlesbrough, was to drop down to League One and prove myself to go to the Championship, to prove myself and and get myself right back up there to the to the Premier League, and that was the only way I was going to leave the club. So it was a yes and no um, scenario, but you know, um, it was just a great it was a great day. I know we lost the game, but you know, I've I've still got one of the vests upstairs um, with Super Dan and what one of the fans has done, and you know, bring back great memories. I mean, what other goals stick it stick in your mind from? From your time at Watford, I mean, I remember you scoring an absolute screamer against West Brom towards the end Brom, of the, yeah. the the first season. Yeah, I was going to say that one. Uh, it was a kind of like a volley, wasn't it, off at the edge of the box? I think it was probably my only goal outside the box. I think maybe, to be honest, uh, one at Millwall where we, we won six one. If kind of curled it in the top corner, that was that was probably just inside the box as well. Yeah, so yeah, probably that one um, in terms of. You know, it was a volley outside the box. I don't really, you know, I scored 50-odd goals for Blackburn. I scored one outside the box and it was literally right inside the thingy. So, yeah, I'll probably go the, the West Brom one was a, a sweet strike. Were we down to 10 men? Yes. Yeah, we were. I think we might have we been, were yeah. down to 10 men. We were only 1-0 and then Brunt equalised deep into the stop of the same, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a good goal, to be fair. Screamer. I enjoyed that one. Absolutely. I enjoyed that screamer. one. <laughs> I mean, you look at the team now, I mean... Do you, do you think we can start this year? I do, yes. Um, I really do. It's obviously going to be tough. Uh, and I would like to think we'll probably get one or two more signings in to, to obviously help out. But I do think they'll, they'll stay up. Um, it will be tough, definitely, because that, that, the Premier League now is, is incredibly, incredibly tough. You see, you know, Leeds done a great job last year when they went up and, you know, to finish in the top half was incredible. So... I'm looking forward to it. Um, like uh, I'm sure all the Watford fans are, you, you know, you, to go and play at the Emirates and Old Trafford and Liverpool is is something that all footballers dream of and all fans want to do. So it'll be tough, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that it's still. Mm. I mean, I've got three quick fire questions to to finish off. I mean, first off, I, I think I think I know what the answer is going to be for this one because I think we just covered it. But your best goal would it be West Brom? West Brom volley, yeah. yeah. Who, who was who was the funniest in the dressing room during during your time at Watford, apart from you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Eustace. Yeah. John Eustace was very very funny. It was kind of like a dry sense of humour, but it was he was funny. Maps was funny. Uh, but I'll probably say you see, to be honest, man. Yeah, apart from me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lastly, if you were still at the club now. Would you still be a table tennis champion? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because literally after training, because I'd moved down and 
I didn't want to go back to the uh, back to my house. I would stay and obviously do the gym and stuff like that, and then just play table tennis for hours. So I think I would be even better than I was back then. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> so that was my chat with Danny Graham, someone who clearly still has a lot of time for Watford, and he's recently become an ambassador for the club as well. I mean, I know as well how much it means to him to to come back to, to Vicarage Road one day. And I know he was meant to be coming back to watch a game as a guest of the club a while ago, but the, the COVID pandemic unfortunately put pay to that. So fingers crossed, we'll hopefully see Super Danny Graham back at Vicarage Road on the pitch at half-time or before a game sometime soon. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe. I couldn't be doing any of this without the support of all you Watford fans out there who listen in to the, to the podcast in your numbers. You can follow us on Twitter at Vicarage Road Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter as well at Bradley Hayden 11. If you've got any feedback on the podcast as well, or you've got a suggestion of someone who you'd like me to perhaps speak to for the podcast as well, you're more than welcome to tweet me as well on at Vicarage Road Pod or Bradley Hayden 11, or you can send me an email on a trip down Vicarage Road at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast, and I'll be back soon with a chat with another Watford legend about their time at Vicarage Road.